And we're live uh, with uh, Frida Wolf. How are you oh, doing? Oh, hello. <laughs> How Very are you doing? well. I have <laughs> to say, it's actually, you're the, the first and only person I've ever talked to in Kuwait, and that's really, like, don't you feel sort of like a point of light is beaming through the center of the earth from one end to the other, uniting people and issues. I don't know. Sometimes it's cool to think about how small the world is because of things like Skype. Yeah, because yeah. Um, um, it, we we uh, recently had, uh, we're actually getting there. We I'm, I'm actually proud that we are getting there because uh, last year we had like, I, I went to four cons that were in, in the area and it was kind of crazy because I'm like, wow. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And I met like I met you know Nolan North. I mean we talked about this on the pre-show, but I but I said I, you know I met Nolan North and David Hader and Fred Tattashore and all these wonderful wonderful people that I you know that they're like my celebrities. Like a lot of people are like oh you know wouldn't it be cool to meet Gene Simmons or whoever? But to me it's like meeting Fred Tattashore is like oh my God you're the Hulk. <laughs> oh that's nice. I'm glad that's happening. That's cool. Yeah because we you know and. That's the, that's a great thing about the internet as well is like you know you can open up to we can actually talk to people that we never in a million years we we would have thought we'd ever talk to and tell them how great their work is and how much it affects us and how much we take that for granted or how much you hate them and they suck <laughs> and then they delete their social media <laughs> and never surface again which I sometimes think about multiple times a day yeah that, that, how scary is that how scary is that you can like there there comes a period where you can say anything on social media but then like someone somewhere is gonna find it and say hey guys did you know that so and so tweeted this? This 10 years ago fire so their it's asses a, it's a twofold problem so i in the early days of the internet so i'm gonna be 37 this year in 2019 so i'm that last generation that knew what life was like before the internet and what life was like at the beginning of the internet and in the beginning of the internet uh, at large i felt really strongly about being an archivist i felt strongly about not deleting your live journal entries for the sake of like seeing the progression of your own character and looking back and da, 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 da. I thought because I'm a bit of a history nerd I thought how cool is it to have this just historical documentation of your own humanity or humanity at large on your GeoCities page however we have now evolved to this giant seething organism that is essentially using the internet to put people on trial for good or ill and now now i believe very very strongly in curating in evaporating your content if you put something on the internet you should probably delete it within a week if not sooner because other people who don't have anything better to do are digging through your archives looking for something to surface to put you on trial in the court of the internet and waste everyone's time, which could have crazy ramifications in your personal and professional life. Is that worth it? Of course it's not. Also, never mind all the bajillion uh, psychological effects of social media. Um, so now the danger zone, it's not so much even reputation um, or like political, personal, professional ramifications. Honestly, uh, it's people doing crap like swatting you, like calling SWAT teams, um, hoping that they will kill you by saying that there is a hostage situation in your home. People stalking you, um, people tracking you based on where you post. I'm here on social media and the fear of someone getting in your face and becoming violent. That crap does make me want to delete everything ever and just disappear forever. So what's happened for me personally, I deleted Facebook probably like four years ago. Never missed it. Um, deleted Twitter sometime late last year. 
Don't miss it. Uh, and I'm very aware that Instagram is basically Instagram is in, in no nothing less than everyone's portfolio, whether it is your newest, best, latest portfolio of your life, whatever you are presenting that to be like, oh, I travel a lot. I drink a lot of coffee, guys, or whatever work you're producing, your latest and greatest work. And maybe you delete the old Instas that are like, well, you know, that didn't do so well. So let's delete that. Um, or your relationships. Oh my God, we're so in love, whatever. So Instagram is sort of like everyone's LinkedIn, but how you're living as a human. And you have to kind of be hyper aware of that layering or you're doing it wrong or you're going to get in trouble or whatever. So that's that's where I'm at personally with the internet. Um, I'm trying to keep it at a very safe distance and not too close because uh, when it goes off the deep end, it goes pretty deep. That's where I'm at. How about you? Yeah, because I've uh, personally, I don't want to get into too much detail, but I've, I've had people threaten me with doxing. I've had tons of people who don't like me over the years threaten me with restraining orders, with all with all kinds of nasty shit, all because of, you know, either miscommunications or because I said something that they didn't agree with or I, you know, shot off, shot off my mouth and said, you know, you know, brought up something old and it's just, it's crazy because it's, it's just like, I, I think to me, the worst thing I ever did on, on the internet for me was to get into social media to begin with. Well, I, I mean, while I do think it's great that I've, you know, built some friendships over the years with some people on social media. It's a fucking nightmare. It, it really is. It's, it's one of those things where it divides people more than brings them together. So just this morning, because I'm a good millennial, I was listening to NPR and they were running <laughs> a, a story, which it's a very, it's a very no shit Sherlock thing, but it needs to be spelled out because we're dumb humans and we all just execute our programming without thinking twice about it unless we talk about it or go to therapy or our sociologist. Um, and it was just a very, it was so good. You already know this, but it needs to be spelled out for you. So there was a study released in the last day or so um, that surprise the mood moods and feelings are contagious, just like a disease. Um, someone smiles at you on your commute in a non creepy, non solicitous way. Um, then maybe that puts you in a good mood. Someone holds the door open for you. Someone says, good morning. Oh, maybe you're, you know, your steps a little lighter. Someone cuts you off. You're pissed. Then someone honks at you and you're more pissed. And then it grows and grows and grows and it spreads like a pandemic just and now now they've got this down um on paper right scientifically mood spread like pandemic okay so what do you have on the internet you have no face-to-face -face interaction you have no face-to-face -face or verbal or um intonation cues like this is something that's been marked too like uh, on something for example like real housewives of anywhere Anytime someone gets a lot of Botox or plastic surgery that changes the way the muscles in your face work, it becomes very difficult to communicate your actual feelings to another person because on a psychological, deep, primitive brain level, they cannot read your face because your face doesn't move right. So take away any face, take away any verbalization, and you're just stuck with text, talking to text. It's way more reactive on a, on a, on a level at a speed that we were not built to process. There is zero empathy on the internet. I can say whatever I want to your screen name and I don't have to deal with how that affects you. I don't have to look at your face. I don't have to hear your voice. I don't have to see how that affects you physically. Not my problem, not my business. And in this story, they specifically cited, um, not long ago, um, someone who was a hardcore right-wing conservative Trump supporter came after Patton Oswalt because Patton Oswalt, comedian, said something and the guy went after him. And Patton, being, comedians are especially 
um, intuitive and intellectual about this thing. Like a comedian's job is to read the room with all the empathy they have in their gut as a sentient human being, see how you're feeling and then dial up or dial down their comedy and tailor it to the people in the room. They can't just do a set to whomever and assume it's going to land. They have to adjust. They have to pay attention. They have to have empathy. So Patton doesn't respond to the guy. He just goes through his feed and he sees that the guy is having a really hard time, um, that he's in medical debt, that he's struggling, and his just his life is a shit show. So Patton gives the guy $2,000 to help him with his medical debt. And that is a separate American dystopian. No one should even be in medical debt, but that's a different conversation. And then Patton tells his followers, hey, this guy who treated this thing, don't give him a hard time. He's having a really difficult time. Donate some money. The guy melted and was completely floored and just blown away that someone did something nice to him. And just like a disease, the bug bit him. He apologized. He was like, you know, maybe, maybe that guy's not so bad. Granted, he essentially got bribed into changing his mood. But the point is, without empathy, you can just build on your own anger. And another thing that's on paper, stress will kill you. Stress, anger will kill you, will evolve into um, you developing diseases and whether they're genetic or whatever, more quickly, stress will kill you. So anyway, all that shit compiled just means don't be on the Internet. Don't use social media. Don't engage with people who don't care about how you feel because they can't see your face or hear your voice. They just want to jerk off to how angry they are and you just happen to be in their way. So the only way to win the game is to not play. Yeah, man. Dun, dun. And, I, and, I, and I learned that the hard way because that's, yeah. the, that's the thing. It's like you can say whatever you want to whomever you want. And there are no ramifications. Oh, they block you? Well, then you can do a victory lap and say, oh, look, look at me. I, I got blocked by this person. And I'm like, why are you cheering that? Like, what what did you accomplish by doing that? Oh, you pissed someone off so, so badly that they blocked you? Okay. <laughs> what a great life. <laughs> what a great uh, accomplishment, buddy. If people said in person the things they said on Twitter, there would be a lot more assault charges, oh, generally. God. That's the yeah. thing. It's like, you know, because I, I, I went to the States recently and it's so weird, but lo like looking at, at like how people talk in the States on uh, face to face conversations compared to Twitter. It's like night and day. The difference is night and day because on Twitter, they're more aggressive. They're more condescending. They're more like critical. But like face to face, everyone's like, oh, yeah, uh, nice weather we're having. Right. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. Like everyone's so chatty and nice and. And, and like welcoming and friendly because they know that if they got into if they if they uh, said the same shit that they that they've been saying on Twitter then then shit's gonna get ugly and there are well serious suddenly it's real humble yeah yeah everyone's real humble when they have to be in a room and they're reduced to being a person and they can't be you know some some posturing uh, avatar that they've created for themselves on the internet where no one can touch them I mean again like Bo Burnham talks about this at length um the guy's a smart guy anyway um if you've seen if you've not seen eighth grade you should definitely see it it is because he's so young and then he went and essentially documented this even younger generation because uh he's aware of how much the internet has messed him up granted you know he we know who bo burnham is because he was a youtube star um but he realizes how jacked up that is in so many ways and you know he was curious and concerned about how how are younger generations dealing with this and he's got a lot of scenes in eighth grade um that toggle between the protagonist this this eighth grade girl her desperately trying to make 
YouTube videos um, where she shows off this kind of confidence that she doesn't actually have in real life because she's trying to psych herself up in real life. And then also kind of demoralizing herself by endlessly scrolling through Instagram so she can look at her peers and what they're doing and how much cooler they are than her. Um, it's a it's a fun black hole <laughs> kind of reflecting where we're at. So, I mean, all that stuff rolls around in my head on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, um, there are some great books out there. Uh, one is there's a TED Talk and a, and a book called Deep Work. Um, the guy's name is Cal something. Um, you can, you can take these methodologies as far or as little as you want. I'm, I personally believe that, you know, you shouldn't, it's sort of like a diet. You need to make lifestyle choices and changes that help you feel better. You don't have to commit yourself to something that's so extreme and so hardcore that you just binge and rebound rubber band the other way. Right. Um, but the, the main concept of deep work is that the human brain is not built to deal with constant interruption between your cell phone and your email and your social medias and your alerts, your text messages, da, 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 da. You never actually get anything done because you have constant distractions. And as a result, your brain has been remapped. Your, um, your synapses, your neural pathways have now been kind of destroyed. And you have to go out of your way to rebuild the ability to concentrate and do anything for an hour at a time because you're being interrupted every five minutes or, you know, less. So, and this applies to just like my professional life too. Like I want to be able to, I already have a difficult time, um, paying attention and like doing one thing for an extended period of time. And, uh, I really have to kind of be in my work. Like I already, I don't like, it's very, very common in VO sessions. For example, if we're in an ensemble thing, like, um, an animated show, animated shows usually try to get as much as cast in as possible. And sometimes someone's got like a lot to do. We're all looking at our phones because it's something we can do. And then it's, uh, you know, it's my turn. And they're like, Frida, Frida, I've been looking at my phone the whole time I was getting direction. And I'm not fired because everyone's doing it, but I'm still really bothered by that. It's not okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because it's like, you know, I understand like it's your coworkers and whatnot, but it's sort of like you're there to act. You know, you're there to, you know, read the script, get prepared, you know, understand, you know, pay attention to what the director is telling you and just act. You know, you're not but there to... But everybody's doing it. Yeah. It's That's the problem. It's like, but yeah. everybody's doing it. So that normalizes it, even though we all know it's bad. Um, so uh, my oldest friend now, um, my buddy Baron Vaughn, who's a, a stand-up and actor, um, he's one of the principals on a Netflix show called Grace and Frankie. And he's... I'm so damn proud of him because we've been friends since I was 13. And now he's in the show with... Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Martin Sheen um, and all these other great actors like he's up there with titans um, and he talked about how there was he told me how there was this, this very specific generational divide on set in between scenes the younger cast members have their noses in their phone and just noticed all the older people and these are you know Jane Fonda's like 82 or something these vastly older people are talking they're hanging out they're talking to the crew and engaging and having conversation and and Baron just sort of, he was sort of like witnessing this dichotomy of sociology in real time. And he was like, I think I'll have what they're having. And he talked about how he had to go out of his way to put the phone down and try it and just like hang out. So and as I'm saying this in my head, I'm thinking about how like when I went to high school, we didn't have cell phones and we hung out. And I recently sort of like looked up my old high school and I saw all these kids from the high school that I graduated from. It's performing arts high school in Vegas 
all doing like day in the life of being a sophomore at Las Vegas Academy and they're cell phone videoing their whole day and there's like kids in the courtyard in a circle all looking at their phones. It's a, it's a, it's a William Gibson nightmare a little bit. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, true story. The most interesting conversation I've had with a person this year, I would say, was with a Lyft driver. I'm not kidding. We actually, I actually uh, remember going to LA for um, vacation uh, a couple months ago. Uh, uh, well, the start of the months, and uh, I, you know, got in, I got into this lift, and we actually started talking to this guy, uh, 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 lift driver named Gab Gabrielle, and we talked about living in LA. What's it like living in LA? What are the people like? And yada yada yada. And I'm just like, this is, and it, and a, and a thought occurred to me, like. Wow, this is the first actual conversation I've had with a human being. Not, Yikes. not, not like because it, because here's the thing with me and my family. Wherever we go, anywhere, like you know, we go into a public gathering, like it's a restaurant or wherever we go out. Every time we're on we're on our phones. Very yep. rarely do we have do we have a conversation. Very rarely, and I, and it's kind of scary to think that oh, the first conversation I've had with an actual human being was with a fucking Lyft driver of all things. I think, you know how everything, as far as trends, everything kind of snaps back. Everything is a reaction to the last thing that was pervasive. And there is definitely a, a generational move, especially around like my contemporaries, people around my age, where people are peeling away from, certainly from Facebook and social media in general, and are trying to just unplug and disconnect because, you know, we've been around long enough to see what it's done. That's not good. Like, I don't think any, I don't think any politician should be on Twitter, <laughs> frankly, like none of them, none of them. Cause what are they doing? They're tweeting and like trying to get social media gains by one upping each, each other with like jabs when they could be working. They're not working. None of them are working. They're busy tweeting, making sure that their tweets are getting the most, whatever. It's a disaster, dude. But here we are. So, <laughs> so voiceover. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we don't usually get uh, philo philosophical on this show, but I thank you anyway, because that is, uh, wow. <laughs> well, voiceover is like what I do, but it's not what I think about. Like the worst thing, I, the worst thing an actor or anybody who's especially creative people can do is make their whole life and everything that comes out of their mouths and eat, breathe, sleep. The thing they do only because when you're doing that, you're not living life. Like you got to have hobbies, especially because there's also if you're a commercial artist and your your busyness depends on clients. When you're not busy, you should be doing things that fulfill you that are not your job because you have to have life experiences and things that take you away from the environment or the headspace so that you don't get worn out and worn down. Right. It's not that you can grow to hate the thing you do for a living. It's just you need to be enriched in your personal life so that your professional life is even more fulfilling and even more prolific. Um, like in the same way, that's why child actors are messed up because they didn't have any sort of life experiences outside of being a professional. Child actors are like tiny walking 40 year olds because they haven't, you know, had the opportunity to just be evolving human beings, figuring out what they like and what they don't like, making friends, losing best friends, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so yeah, voice acting is, it's definitely what I do, but it, like I try, I definitely try to cram other things in my head. It's like, you know, this dystopian virtual nightmare. That no, that's great. Cause I mean, usually we just focus on like one thing and it's just like, you hear the same story over and over again when I talk to people about like voiceover and it's like, yeah, that's cool. But you know, well, it's not it... about doing voices. It's about 
acting and yeah, I know. The craft. like what am i gonna tell you that you haven't heard before i know you can try <laughs> it's very boring it's sort of i mean it's no different than like if you were to interview you know an engineer or something and be like so how did you become an engineer well i went to school like it, that's a little it's a little different for creative professional because and all of us say this like the way we got from a to b is not how anyone else is going to get from a to b but so long as as we all end up at b we'll see what b you just you know you just have to kind of you have to keep pushing and not have a plan b and then we'll see you at b that's kind of how it works in unscientific terms yeah, because, I mean, it, it very rarely do I think, I mean, I, honestly, I think this interview right now or whatever, I mean, I don't even think this is an interview. This is like a real conversation, and I'm kind of like floored right now because I'm like, holy shit, someone actually wants to do an actual conversation and not go through the motions? What is this? <laughs> it can happen. Well, we certainly can, but, you know, I, I challenge you to to get me to say something that you haven't heard before. Yeah, but but I now that you mentioned it, like, I haven't, like, I can't. I honestly cannot. I mean, no bullshit. No bullshit. I, I honestly cannot sit here and, with a straight face and tell you, like, oh, I, I haven't heard everything that, that, that's, that comes with voiceover because I really have. It's like, it's not about doing voices. It's about acting. Get an agent. Um, always keep auditioning. Make sure your throat, you know, do throat exercises before you get into a booth. Make sure, you know, the work isn't too stressful, you know. Look at you, you listen. Good job. <laughs> that's more than a lot of people. I know this shit. That's that's kind of the weird shit with my brain. It's like, you give me like a, a basic math problem and I can't solve it, but I can tell you who Rob Paulson is and what his career is. That's, that's fine. There's got to be nerds for everything. Like, that's how weird my brain is, because I remember talking to... Uh, my friend Tom, and we went on for 40 minutes talking about nothing but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for 40 Aww. minutes. Yeah, that right there is a Comic-Con panel. Done. <laughs> Ship it. Because, you know, we both grew up on on, on, on the Team NT, and we're like, oh, we're big fans of it, and we just, like, talk, talked about it. And I remember, like, another conversation, like, two hours of nothing but wrestling talk. We talked about nothing but wrestling for like two hours, and I'm like, that's crazy how the brain works. Like, that's once you find someone who, you know, is into the same stuff that, that you're into, you can talk about that type of shit for hours. And you're hitting on exactly what I just said, though. Those are your <laughs> yeah, hobbies. Yeah, those are the things that enrich you. Those are the things that get you excited. And if you don't have those hobbies that get you excited, you're not going to be excited about anything else, whether you do it for money or for pleasure. Like you have to, you have to live a full and enriched life for you to have a full and enriched bank account, for you to have a full and enriched um, personal relationship, romantic relationship, professional. Re it really does cross bleed feed into everything else in your life. I didn't, I didn't quite um, understand that because I'd heard other voice actors say get a freaking hobby and like it, at comic-con panels and like part of the general advice section which you mostly just rattled off but i i didn't understand and, and also like um uh, film actors and whatever were like yeah you got to get a hobby the thing is and it's it's the same way with um again any in any freelance contractor commercial creative person so whether you're a visual artist um, a freelance graphic designer, freelance sound designer, whatever, whatever, whatever. If your money depends on other people paying you, everybody who works in freelance has um, a crazy loop-de-loop -loop kind of profitability. So what happens is when you are stuck in a nine-to-five salary job 
that is guaranteed work. However, you're trapped within those confines. You know for a fact you're going to be working nine to five or whatever, Monday through Friday or whatever, and your check is going to be, you know, plus or minus the same amount every two weeks, a month, whatever. No surprises. No surprises at all. When you're a freelancer, what happens, it's constant feast or famine depending on all the factors, you know, many, many tiers above you as the money trickles down, as projects get approved, as investors sign up, whatever. By the time it finally makes it down to us, the humble creatives, um, many, many phases have, have gone through. So like we reliably know, for example, things kind of slow down or kind of speed up and then slow down towards the end of the year because everyone's already got vacation brain after Thanksgiving. Um, things have a very slow ramp up in January because people have vacation brain and they're not ready and they're still they're trying to get money approved. Suddenly, auditions are exploding and like crazy in February and we're all drowning in them because finally everything got greenlit, all the money's been approved and they, now they have to cast everything yesterday. Great. Um, these dips are kind of reliable. The point is um, our busyness and our pocketbooks kind of go up and down in really big spikes. But the potential for profitability as a freelancer will always supersede what you could make reliably stuck in a job. I don't know anyone um, in any freelance capacity. I used to be a sound designer for games, people who used to work in-house for um, game companies who now are freelance sound designers. You cannot get them to accept a full-time job because they know if they stay freelance, they can make way more money. They could also lose money. They could also have like a terrible month, but then they'll have an insane month and make money for the next three months, for example. So I've, I've had no people who've been like, oh my God, I can't, I can't do what you do. I can't do it. I just, I would be so nervous about not making rent. And I'm like, you know what? Genuinely, the less I want to work, the less I give a shit about booking, the more I book. And the less I care about booking whatever audition where I'm like, oh, whatever, and I just do it, those are the ones I book because I'm not desperate. I'm not needy. I always say it's very analogous to dating. If you go on a date and you are desperate to be loved, you need this to work out. My eggs are drying up. Do you like cats or dogs? Because this baby's on a timer. We need to cook it. That is kind of off-putting. If you show up at an audition or you do an audition from home for voice or whatever, and you're like, I just, I, you know, I really need the money and I'm just really worried about it. It bleeds into your work. And again, it doesn't matter what you do creatively, that desperation, your mood bleeds into your work. When you have downtime, when you're not working, when it's slow, if you just chill out, don't worry about it and do all the stuff that you've been putting off, whether it's going for a hike or reading a book, things that make you happy, your hobbies that will enrich you as a person so that when the work shows up again, you're ready to attack it and you feel good. That's why that's so important. So now um, this April, I turn six um, as being a professional voice actor. For me, my anniversary, I make it when um, when my agency um, started using me because you're kind of, you are blocked off from the big projects, the big names and the big companies, not just games, like animation, commercials, everything, because they're kind of behind this agent wall. But once you get an agent, you're in the big pool you're in you're in the deep end with all the big boys and the big girls and kind of have to like sack up real fast um making sure that i do all the things that i want to do when there's no work and i don't worry about it means that when there is work i am really confident and really relaxed because i took advantage of my downtime does that all make sense uh, yeah it does and i think that's a good uh mentality to have because so many so many young voice actors i've seen on like twitter kind of have this i want to book this now i want to book this now 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 and they don't end up booking anything because they're just like hungry to... because they're just hungry and they don't have a 
they don't have an end goal for anything. Well, think about dating too, right? Yeah, You're yeah. like, I just, I just want to get married. You know, I just, I really want to find someone. It just doesn't work like that. You have to, everything to me is extremely universal. Um, Amanda Palmer, who's a musician, she's written, um, a book that I think is like a primer for all artists called The Art of Asking. And she basically breaks down couple, two main points. One, The Art of Asking in the title itself, the need as an artist to get over the idea of putting out a figurative or literal hat for people to tip in, whether that's doing a Patreon where you're doing direct to art, artist to um, audience work or um, making sure that you're paid what you think you're worth by a professional client. You have like a lot of artists are very, very twitchy. I used to be really embarrassed to ask to get paid. And I know that doesn't make any sense on the outside, but it has a lot to do with imposter syndrome and self-worth and not thinking that you even belong calling yourself an artist, never mind asking for money. That is a huge hump to get over psychologically. The other part that Amanda Palmer talks about is connecting the dots. And that is connecting the dots between pretty much all aspects of life or people in other professions, like I've been talking about, like in the same way auditioning is like going on a date, just sort of seeing where all these lines intersect or like I've been, um, I've had a lot of ups and downs with my health in the last year. So in the last six months, like seven months ago, I got diagnosed with precancer in one breast. Precancer is when they find a group of cells that are already going south. Um, I decided to deal with it with a bilateral mastectomy. I attempted breast reconstruction for six months and it was just been nonstop medical drama. In six months since diagnosis, I've been to the hospital, hospitalized, seen a doctor 36 times in six months. So I decided enough. So a week and a half ago, I explanted the tissue expanders. I'm now flat. It's not really flat. It's sort of like the Hulk punched two giant craters in my chest. Maybe they'll fill out, maybe not. But in all this, um, I started working. I started developing a gym habit with my husband, which we really enjoyed. Again, finding something that you really like. I like lifting the heavy things, and I'm good at it, it turns out. Um, and I started working with um, a fitness trainer just because I wanted an education in, in lifting not a purposeful uh, um, thing, but it's just a very LA thing. When you're in Los Angeles, you just end up working with rubbing shoulders or seeing people who are people. I happen to pick Ronda Rousey's conditioning trainer, not on purpose. He's just close by. Just very funny to me. Um, and when I started working with him, he was talking to me about how um, everybody's doing their best at all times and you can't really ask people to do more or else you make them feel like garbage and then they just quit. Whether it's working on getting strong, they're already doing their best. You cannot ask them to do more. If you tell someone they're not doing their best right then, right there, they're going to just ball up and go fetal. And that is true of, of anything of, of anything anywhere. Um, Brene Brown, who's a well-known um, sociologist researcher, she has a bunch of books, B-R-E-N-E Brown. I cannot recommend her enough. Um, she has a book, I think, in Rising Strong. She talks about how she had to, she had to conduct research because she was so angry because she was one of the non-believers. Um, this, is, this is scientific data, and it's, gonna, it's really annoying. People who genuinely believe that at this moment, everyone around them, everyone on this planet is already doing the best they can. Those people who believe that you and I and everyone we know are doing the best we can. Those people will live longer. They'll make more money. They'll be happy in the relationships, longer lasting relationships. Like everything is on a higher curve. People who believe that everyone is not living up to their full potential, that is not doing the best they can. They're not just not good enough. Those people live shorter lives, higher stress levels, lower in, in income, on and on and on and on. 
what happens is when you take on the burden of other people not living up to your standards, that doesn't affect them. It affects you. You take on the stress and responsibility of someone else not being good enough. And you just end up being pissed and then screwing up your relationship with that person and everyone at large because no one's living up to your expectations versus if you can just let it go and be like, you know what, that's the best I can do today. And that's all right. <sighs> you can sort of just like just shuck it off and move on and then worry about yourself. So me bringing all this up, the point is it starts with you. If you believe I deserve to be here, I'm doing the best I can. I know I'm doing the best I can and that's good enough, you'll be able to kind of mind your own business, quiet down everything else, all the other noise, whether it's your internal voices or external forces, and just do the thing you need to do. And I think that is kind of more important to how to succeed in VO than um, you got to warm up first <laughs> and <laughs> maybe drink some tea. Uh, who you are as a person will immediately dictate your longevity, how often people hire you and how much they want to work with you. If you're unpleasant to work with, if you're a jackass, if other people aren't living up to your expectations, it's going to be harder to hire you because you're just unpleasant to be around. Ta-da! That's a big industry secret. Not really. Not really. It's pretty simple. Well, that's in every industry anyway. I mean, no one no one wants to hire. I mean, if, 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 uh, if someone's like ter a terrible liability to the company, they're not, not going to hire them because I know. <laughs> I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've known tons of people in my workplace uh, that got fired because they were liabilities to the company. So my favorite, um, I have I have a on my website, freedowolf.com, there's a tab, how to become a voice actor, because obviously I'm tired of answering the question. So I made a web page, a composite web page that I try to keep up to date where I've put all the links. And, and it's not like me doing generic throwaways it's resources that i used when i was up and coming or other people that have been vetted to me or whatever it's all stuff that i would that i would send uh less experienced younger me if younger me was being like how how do i even where do how do i how how um and up there i have a clip of inside the actor studio which was which was a television show when people had television um George Clooney was on it and it was inside the actor studio. It was a really great, I'm sure they're all on YouTube. It was a really great show. Um, interviewing an actor at a time and doing a retrospect on their career. And then because they, it was filmed at a, a film school, they would open it up to questions, which, which were more incisive because there was upcoming filmmakers and actors and costume designers, whatever, asking their questions. When George Clooney was on there, there's this great clip. George Clooney has also been a producer and involved in casting and other aspects of production, not just an actor. So um, an actor came up and the gist of the question was like, it's pilot season. Pilot season is when actors are out um, auditioning for television shows, hoping to get booked on one. Very, very few make it. Um, and he's like, do you have any advice for, for actors on pilot season? George launched into this thing that I think about every day. So he talked about as being someone who's, who's been on the other side of the casting table it, a few things uh, really, really determine whether you get hired at all. So he's like, say I'm hiring, I'm, I'm casting for a movie. A movie is usually a short-term commitment, especially compared to television. Television show, if it's successful, will run for years. And then you're working multiple days a week guaranteed for years. A film could be a couple weeks, could be a couple months, maybe a couple years if it's extreme. But yeah, usually you can wrap a film up pretty quickly. So he says, say actor A walks in and she's nuts. She's a nightmare. But she's brilliant. This is a film. You can just 
we can just get what we need and put up with her and, and, and not talk about it. Right. I, I can put up with her for, for a film. And then actor B comes in and she's auditioning for a show. And maybe she's not as brilliant as actor A, but she's not crazy and she's not a jerk. And I like working with her. She's going to get it. Right. And that rings in my head all the time about your longevity is so much more dependent on what you're like as a coworker on a human level than ever what the quality of your work is like. And especially it's, it's something as widespread as acting. We're all replaceable, every last one of us. And in VO, everybody intersects with somebody else, at least one other person. Um, everybody in VO kind of after a while, uh, will, we call them your, your vocal twin, um, where either we sound identical in our speaking voice or like there's some overlap when we are, affect our voices in a certain way. We sound identical. Um, so like Matt Watterson, who's a, who's a buddy, Matt Watterson and Gideon Emery are both uh, with my agency and they can't tell themselves apart amongst themselves. Like Matt has listened to something and he genuinely cannot tell if it's him or Gideon. Um, there was, I don't remember which, but some game where they, without thinking about like cast Matt to have a conversation as a character in a scene, having a conversation with Gideon and they had to like, they had to do a different voice because <laughs> they just sound the same. Um, and so which, and I'm saying this because like, well, if they're both, by the way, like the nicest dudes on the planet, they're like lovely, lovely guys. But let's, let's just for the sake of our, let's say Gideon's a dick. They could just replace him with Matt and you, you the audience wouldn't even miss it and production would carry on and Matt would get the work because Matt's not a dick to clarify Gideon Emery's not a dick. He's a lovely, lovely man. Um, but you get my drift. Like we're all replaceable. And I, I think we're all kind of replaceable in the large scheme of things, regardless of where you work, like your talents are not unique. Even if you're a genius, if we need, I mean, you can be the most gifted pianist in the world, but so many people play the piano really. And if we just need someone to play the piano, we'll find somebody else. I mean, yeah, that's, 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 I mean, look at the industry, like back in the seventies and eighties and nineties. I mean, Frank Wilker was doing all the animal voices and now it's all Dee Bradley Baker. So he got Mm -hmm. replaced. So, you know, times are a changing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, some, a part of that is also like just age and stamina. Like you can't, um, VO is really especially exhausting. It's especially exhausting. I think much more so than, um, Maybe a theater actor would argue with me. I could see a theater actor getting really self-righteous about it. But I would argue that VO is extra, extra exhausting only because like, so if you're, if you're an on-camera actor, um, some of the work is in your face and in your body, right? Like I, I can express to you how I'm feeling with my face and my body. And I can do that in theater too, up to degree, but everything has to be more exaggerated. So people in the back can see it in VO. All you have is the sound of my voice to tell you how I'm feeling. I have to put everything into the way I'm vocalizing and like you can't see me you know wiggle my eyebrows or whatever it doesn't matter so because there's just so much focus and attention and I'm actively listen well not don't don't take this don't take this to heart I'm actively listening but not so much as like analyzing my performance in real time because if you're doing that you're not acting you have to be in the moment it's still acting you still have to be having a natural reaction to whatever so don't sit there and like listen to yourself because that's when you get stuck like as a side anecdote, um, I read somewhere that Jeremy Irons, who's a British actor, was a dick to somebody, I don't remember who, on the set of a film. 
um, he was threatened by like this younger up and coming actor. So to mess with him, he told him, Oh wow. I, you have a beautiful voice. Has anyone ever told you? I really, really like your voice, which screwed up the guy who wasn't used to that because it made himself obsessive and listen to himself. And it made him give a terrible performance, which was Jeremy's objective. Like never, ever, ever listen, watch, pay attention to yourself because it takes you out of being an actual actor where you're like living in the moment. Um, so anyway, I think VO is speaking as someone who has no experience in film or television and is totally talking out of their ass. Um, but to be fair in those other things, you sit around a lot and you have all these break times in VO. Like if it games are like the meat grinder of VO because you're, if it's just you by yourself and you're standing four hours at a pop and there's no interruption because no one else has to have a turn or they're not, they don't have to change the set or change the lights or the cameras or whatever. You were going, going, going for four hours straight and just pouring all of your emotion and all of your guts and everything that you're saying and the way you sound. That that was great. That was perfect. Can we get one more for safety? Just like that, but better. Thanks. So you, you come home and then you just rock back and forth and go fetal and nobody touches you for an hour. That's pretty much how it goes. And, it, and it's it's kind of weird with, uh, with video games because you just come in there without any context and you're just... You're you're just given like these uh, these obscure lines, and you're just like, okay, say say this like this, or in this scene, you're da 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 da, and you just have nothing to go on, and you have to make it work somehow. You have to be so. What makes an actor employable? I've had this discussion. A couple of directors have approached me asking me to get involved with teaching classes and seminars and stuff, and I find that really flattering. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a work in progress till the day I die. I'm like, I'm not going to be like, I am perfect and awesome and solid because there's always cracks in the foundation. And that's true for pretty much everybody. Um, but the, so here's the core dilemma. I think also another thing that like distinguishes somebody who's good, great, and someone who's not, um, it's, it's easier translated to other professions. So like if you're a visual artist, um, and now with the internet, we're all, I think, a little more familiar with um, people who work as concept artists or people who just are like little indie artists working from home who open up commissions. They'll draw your avatar, whatever. So when you hire a visual artist, it's because you've seen their work and you're like, wow, I really like their style. Can you can you draw me a frog in your style? So you were already committing to getting um, a product, a concept that you are requesting, but you want it through that person's filter. And that's why you're paying them right? You want their stank on it. You want their flavor. It's the same thing for actors. You've listened to their stuff and you're like, wow, I really, I got, I really like their, their style. Can you, can you take my baby, this character that I've created, but like put it through your filter. So you're already being trusted by the client to make good choices. Now you have to make good choices before I became a voice actor and I was a sound designer. Like one of the last, um, sessions I directed was had Troy Baker and Laura Bailey. And, um, what I really took away from observing Troy Troy is sort of like a, a wild farting bucking stallion in, in the midday sun running through fields. And he won't slow down his gallop or quit because unless you pull the reins and say stop or no or something different, he presumes that you're cool with what he's doing. So what happens is his confidence in his choices in that moment are so charming 
and so engaging that it puts the whole room at ease and you're just you're so enchanted watching him gallop and fart and run all over the booth with his thing that unless he makes a serious deviation a really rickety left turn that you you know that is sort of like nails on chalk you're cool with it and that that puts the whole room at ease of like wow great job everyone we we cast the right person. We got what we needed. That's a great and that's a great feeling. And that that is what the client wants. Like they've hired you because they presume they want you to be the answer to their problem. Their problem is we got to get this thing done. We got to get this character recorded. And uh, I mean, I'm really trusting you to get this done in the four hours that we booked because if we don't, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Either I hired poorly or the or the casting director made a poor choice or like you deceived us with your amazing audition. <laughs> Um, it, it really, I'm, I'm very cognizant. I think about this all the time about how from the time I walk into the booth, you know, they've only, they're already paying for the time and we only have the time allotted to get it done. Like I'm, I'm really proud of the way I work with bad directors. I'm, I'm genuinely like pat myself on the back about how I handle that. Cause here's the thing. It doesn't matter if I'm a bad actor and you're a great director or you're a bad director and I'm a great actor. Either way, we have to get this done today, now, in the time allotted, or we're all in trouble, and we, and you know, we all get dragged down. Um, so if I get, if I am locked in with a bad director, I don't get mad about it. I'm like, cool, let me help you direct. So I basically, I'll take the reins and sort of start making choices. And unless they tell me no, or I'll just, I'll, I'll give suggestions or guidance. So I make sure that we, we all do something that we're happy with so we can all go home and eat dinner and forget about the day. So when you ask me what it was like to work on X, I won't even remember that it had a bad director because I stopped caring. And you can't, and you kind of have to think that with that mindset because you kind of don't want to let, let what that person said linger on you and say, Oh, but then, then that, then the doubts will start to build up and you're like, Oh, I could have done that better when you listen to it yeah. again. Absolutely. And there's no, I mean, it is worse than spilled milk. There's, there's no, that, that's why I'm saying like, you have to have the confidence of the choices that you're making in that moment felt good to you in the same way, like good acting. If I don't believe it's happening to me, why would you believe it's happening to me? Right. And if I don't believe that the choices I'm making are solid and, and founded on a pretty solid understanding of the character and what's happening, then you're not going to be confident that I knew what the hell was going on. Like it all, it all domino effect trickles down. So it, it really does. I think the reason, like, for example, like as mentioned, a couple of casting directors have asked me about getting involved with teaching. One of them very specific, like we were at a, like a Christmas party and someone I've a director I've worked with a lot approached me asking me about this. He very specifically cited, he's like, Frida, it usually takes me like half an hour the first half hour of time, which in my head, I'm like, uh Oh, that's my down the drain. The first half hour of time to get the actor comfortable to trust me and to be comfortable enough to, you know, sit in the character, sound good and get rolling. What happens often is like, um, at the end of a session, sometimes directors will ask you to go back and record the first few lines because it wasn't until, you know, the middle that you started feeling comfortable. And now you've got like two different sounding characters from the beginning to end. Uh Oh, that's a problem. And this director was like, Frida, it usually takes me like half an hour to get people comfortable enough to trust me and get rolling. And you're comfortable from the minute you walk in the door. What's the deal? And I'm like, because I know we're losing time and money. I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> we're losing from this every every pee break, 
is less time we have to massage something out later if it needs to be massaged out or to go back and do what we call pickups. Like um, if we missed a line or like a, a line just didn't quite sit right, we'll, we'll miss time to go back and get that. And I want the client to be happy. If the client's not happy, Brian, I can hire me again or tell other people to not hire me again. All that is more important to me than anything else. So we don't, we don't have time for you to wait around for me to get comfortable. This also, um, affected me directly. Um, so I'm, I'm several trolls. The DreamWorks property trolls has a Netflix animated show and I play several trolls on that show and I sing a lot. And, um, one time, and, and I'm, I'm really, really hard on myself with everything, but I'm super hard on myself with singing because I never thought I would be a like professional recording artist. I was just like a kid who did choir in high school. I had no aspirations of becoming a professional singer. And now I'm a, technically a professional singer. Like I've gotten residual checks from being on a soundtrack. It's freaking weird, but it makes me take it extra seriously, right? And DreamWorks is trusting me with their baby to not embarrass them to do a good job. So I take it super seriously, but I was taking it so seriously that one time, um, the talk back mic is when the person who's in the booth, um, presses talk back so they can talk back to the talent in the booth who's recording. One time they accidentally left the talk back on and, um, but during a singing session, the director said, it sounds like she's marking it. Um, marking it means not doing it full out, just sort of like practicing. And I was like, <gasps> that's fucking embarrassing. But it lit a fire under my ass because I was so, I was being so over the top, stupid, precious, prideful. I'm really prideful about like, I don't want you to use auto-tune on me. Nah, nah, nah. They use auto-tune on everybody, literally everybody, even like <laughs> pitch people. Like they, they cosmetically um, surgical fix up everybody vocally, everybody. And I'm talking about like celebrities, people who are incredible live singers. They, they could still use a little nip and tuck. They all get their, their vocals goosed, but I was being like a really precious dumb baby being like, so I was, I was doing the thing that I just talked about. I was listening to myself and holding myself back and sort of choking rather than singing full out in character and giving it all the juice I had. And all I needed to hear was her not telling, not meaning to say directly to me, it sounds like she's marking it for me to be like, fuck, I'm wasting everyone's time. And that sort of like slapped me on the ass like a racehorse. And after that, I just started punching it like right out the gate and not worrying, like not listening to myself, not giving a fuck, not worrying about if I go flat or sharp or, oh my God, it's embarrassing. Especially like they, I was so, it's funny. I'm like so relaxed in my acting, but like you can tell what I'm self-conscious about because the singing is sort of a new concept of like, I'm getting paid by big names to sing. Oh Jesus. Um, where they had to tell me like the Frida XYZ celebrities that we had sing they screw up because they're human. Oh, I'm human. I'm allowed to. Oh, okay, I forgot. <laughs> so, you know, it all, it all feeds back. So again, I, mean, I think, I think you're succeeding in getting me to reveal the, the seedy underbelly of like the real gritty shit, like the real, the real stuff that, that makes you a good actor, a viable voice actor, and certainly somebody with longevity. I'm only, again, I'm only six years in. I'm talking out of my ass. I'm surrounded by peers who've been around a lot longer than me. But this is also based on my, you know, observations of my peers, of people who I see regularly who have good reputations on and on and on. Is that's part of it. It's like they don't, they're not reliant on what I consider to be cookies. Like I have, I've been, like I've directed voice actors where, um, 
they look over their shoulders at the booth for validation after every single line. Like, was that good? Was that okay? Was that good? It's not my job. I'm not going to do you need a gold star sticker for every line because we don't have that kind of time. And that's what that director was talking about. He's like, we don't, I don't, how, how do I speed up the process of making somebody comfortable? I don't, you can be warm and, and certainly like there are directors who, um, great directors, great directors are like great parents or a great romantic partner. I think, I think a great partner or presence in your life is someone who makes you feel like you could do anything, right? Like that's a great teacher is someone who makes you feel like you have no limitations. Like you can, and that's not a false confidence. It's just like, yeah, if you want to do the thing, do you can do the thing, do go do it. Great directors give you that kind of warmth as well. Right. You can, I've, there are directors who make you feel like you can't do anything right. And then you just want to bury yourself in a hole and shoot yourself later. Um, so I, I do get that that is meeting us halfway, but it really has to start with the talent. You have to believe in yourself and love yourself enough and pat yourself enough on the back so that when you walk in that door, you're not as I was marking it because we don't have time, right? Um, everyone wants to go home and have dinner or have lunch. Uh, honestly, like 90% of, of, the thoughts or commentary in the booth is not about you. It's about what are we going to order for lunch? Cause I'm starving. Dirty secrets of entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I, I just want to thank you for being honest about it and not like trying to sugarcoat it. And like, cause I, cause every time you look at like you, I watch like footage of like cons and, and stuff like that. They try to make it sound like it's the best job ever. And I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> it's still a job. Every yeah, I job know. is a job. I know. Every like, job they, is a job. If to... you're working for... nah. if you're working for other people and other other people sign your checks, it's a job. It's ju- and it's just a job too. I think the the just a job um wave I think is this is like a broader political subject, but like there's a there's a revitalization in labor unions right now, especially in the United States. And also, I think because of one of the few good things about social media, there's a hyper awareness of um, companies aren't people and therefore companies can't love you or be loyal to you the way a, a person can or should. So you don't owe a company anything least of all loyalty um but you don't owe them anything other than uh, meeting your part of the contract where where it says you will produce x amount of work for x amount of money everything after that is for free and you really shouldn't work for free because exposure doesn't pay the rent right and giving a shit doesn't pay the rent money pays the rent and money like money is the most important thing um uh there's a there's a very specific divide between a fine artist and a commercial artist. A fine artist is if you want to think of it in terms of like someone who shows in a gallery and presents their own work and things that they produce, they breathed life into that they drew from nothing. Nobody told them what to do or how to do it or when to do it. Fine art, for example, for um, an actor, you're a fine artist if you are writing and performing your own stuff. Like this is a character that I created from a universe that I created. This is my baby. And I'm also acting in it, right? Like an auteur, as we would say, but you are a commercial artist. If you are bringing other people's visions to life, if you're taking directions from other people, if someone else signs your check, you are a commercial artist. I am a commercial artist. And so it's very important for me to psychologically separate my emotional involvement 
um, in my commercial work. I cannot bring it home with me because I have to preserve my personal life, right? Like I was saying earlier, everything feeds into everything else. So you have to kind of section off um, how much your work affects you because it is just a job. So while I love voice acting and it, for me, VO has been that happy intersection of something that I am naturally good at, that I can excel at, that I can make good money on um, and do it for a long time. Like all the things that you want in a job where it's like, you know, just enough of a compromise of something that you're good at, but something that also pays well. Cause if, if there's something that you're really great at, but no one wants to pay you for it, you're going to starve. <laughs> you're going to be homeless. And that sucks. Um, like I, I've said this a million times elsewhere, but it needs to be said because sometimes people forget a lot of people make the cross into being a, a successful fine artist by being a commercial artist. And even then people don't step into becoming a, a successful commercial artist until they've been like maybe full-time working at a job that they hate, but it pays the rent and then doing the thing that they want to do. Like again, visual artists are an easy example, like people who I want to draw for a living. So they draw at night nights and weekends. And then um, they notice people start coming to them asking for projects. So maybe, maybe the full-time job that was paying the rent becomes a part-time job, right? But they're still putting away money and saving and being very, very careful with their money, making sure that all their needs are being met and there's still, you know, money in the bank. And then they're working on the hobby, quote, hobby, part-time, making more, making more. And then suddenly one day you realize, wow, this is, I, I think I can do this full-time. And then you look back and hopefully by then you've established yourself as you stop saying, first of all, don't ever put aspiring in front of anything. Don't ever put aspiring artists, aspiring voice actor, aspiring actor, because any of us see that and we're like, cool, you're aspiring forever. Just, just do the thing. Just do the thing. If at any point someone has paid you for it, you're a professional done the thing. If someone paid you to do VO, you are now a professional voice actor. Welcome. No one's going to send you a greeting card. That's how it works. You have to give yourself your own sash and crown. Okay. So, um, eventually that hobby takes over and you're like, I, I think, I think I can do this full time. You have to decide for yourself. Nobody sends you an invitation to take the plunge, announce to the world. I am a full-time artist. I am here. I'm good at what I do. I like what I do and I can work for you. Ta-da. And then you can finally peace out on the job that you hated that was paying the rent, but not, you know, fulfilling you personally. Um, and that's kind of like the great cycle of life. So for me, I am really happily wedged into this commercial artist job. I don't, I, hmm, in the same way where like you start, like I was saying, like maybe you do a, jo a job you don't like, but it pays well. Uh, early on in VO, I think most people do this. Um, you don't, you don't strategize. You don't really think you just throw yourself at the wall and do every audition that comes your way. You're so desperate to like work and just like, you don't even know what you're good at. No one knows what you're good at. No one knows what you resonate with, with, with people at large. And then someone once told me, um, it takes about three years of being in LA and being in the casting pool in general before anyone knows what to do with you. And she was right. And like three years is right on the money. You audition enough times, you show up enough times, you work enough times between you and the casting people, they kind of figure out what you're good for reliably, how you resonate. And that's how typecasting happens. And typecasting isn't a bad thing. It's just like, man, that, that thing you do, I, more of that. Not yet. Yeah, I know you do other stuff, but that thing. So typecasting is not a bad thing. It just means that this one particular note in your, your personal piano scale is just 
really outstanding. It's really good. And you should be proud that you're doing it better than anyone else. Cause that job, like I said, could have gone anyone else. You are replaceable, but, but you, that thing you do, Oh, it's so good. So like I've played, you know, a handful of villains or a handful of kids or whatever. And I'm, I'm happy that those notes within me are resonating enough for me to be paid money for them over and over again. That's really pleasing that I've finally kind of found, um, my, my specific wedges, right. Or like, I know another voice actor, for example, you can even strategize even more where, um, you stop doing work for money cause you don't need to, um, cause you have enough money in the bank. So now you can start being picky and maybe start working almost for pleasure. I know a particular voice actor who specifically only, um, if like we get, uh, um, email auditions most days of the week, um, he will only audition for lead roles because he wants the fandom so he can stay on the convention circuit and make convention money, which the reason actors do conventions (laughs) is because they make more money because the math it's all, it's about math. Like your, your trajectory in your life. And I don't care what you do for a living. If you're smart, your trajectory should always be doing less work for more money, less work, more money, less work, more money until over time you're barely working at all and making a ton of cash because you're that good and you have been that choosy. If you constantly take odd jobs at low pay, again, whatever your profession is, and, you're, and you just say yes to everything, and you never give yourself a promotion, because if you're freelance, you don't work for someone else, you have to decide when you get vacation, when you get a promotion, you will be hustling for small fees, fees forever. And you don't want to do that, especially because your, your energy and your age and your health is a finite resource, and you can't keep up that speed forever. So um, that actor is... He's fulfilling a couple things. One, he personally um, wants the satisfaction of only playing leads. Cool. Good for him. He's figured out what makes him happy. And then he's also figured out that he would rather, like, in in a three-day weekend convention, actors can make what they would make in a whole week of doing VO if they have enough autographs that they sell or merch that they sell or whatever, or their um, uh, appearance fee is high enough. I personally don't want to live out of a suitcase. It's not a lifestyle that I like. So I, I actively kind of avoid though the convention circuit. Like I, I don't, I don't want it. Um, but more power to people who do. Um, so their trajectory is like, well, how, how can I do the least amount of work for the most amount of money? They go to conventions and then they purposely audition for things that will get them on conventions. So again, that's, that's another, that is, that is a secret to longevity in VO. It's not about doing VO. It's about making enough money. Ta-da! But that's, that's the same in every profession. Like you have to work smart, not hard. And part of that is knowing what your time and your talent is worth. Um, like this is not a secret. Anime does not make a living. Um, the, the anime is sort of like the bottom barrel for fees and you cannot live. If you, if, if that's great, if you, as a person, you're like, I love anime and I just want to work on anime. <sighs> Well, then you're going to have to do a lot of part-time work because you can do a lot of anime, but it only pays $75, like between $40 to $75 an hour. You cannot live on that. Like, believe me, you you can't live on that at all. But, but if you work on enough animes, you'll get on the anime convention circuit and then you can make your rent check in a weekend. And you do all these crappy little jobs during the week where you're hustling really hard and you can't, you can make utilities, but not rent. But then on the weekend that's when you get the fat money, right? So again, you have to be, you have, you have the ability to carve out your career in so much as you have the ability to say no to certain things. And you should take advantage of that intelligently in a way that fulfills you 
on a personal professional level, whatever that is. And nobody, you might not even know what that is for a long time. Um, I advocate very strongly for getting your hands dirty and working as quickly as possible in the thing that you think you want to do because you need to figure out whether and what you like about it or else you could be stuck in a job that makes you miserable for a long time before you put two and two together. Damn. <laughs> well, I can say like, this is why I bring up, you know, Amanda Palmer, like that book, the art of asking is, it, it's incredibly important. I mean, it's about her personal life as well, but when she talks about connecting the dots, the dots, like, and, and once I like read that in her, I started seeing these dots to connect everywhere. We're just other like I'll watch interviews and Ted talks and stuff with other people and other professions unrelated to VO. Cause I'm getting, I'm saying this is like the danger. If you, if all you consume is everything about the, your business and your industry, blah, 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 you get like this snow globe bubble landscape with no depth perception. That's really dangerous because the world is much bigger than that. And your world is much bigger than that. Even if your day to day is limited to a specific small number of people or a small number of companies or a small number of industries, but you get so much more if you look outside of that and then you'll start seeing their methodologies are actually very similar to yours, especially like the people who have gone far might have employed the same kind of basic concepts just on like a healthy work-life balance that will affect you directly and have very serious effects if you don't take it seriously early on, for example, just like really basic stuff. I, I really genuinely think that all this has to be a fatter part of your recipe book for what makes you happy and healthy in VO or whatever job. Because if, if those things are out of whack, then it's sort of like the wheels fall off later on, right? Um, so like easy for me, um, early on, I used to kill myself with doing all the auditions in my inbox, regardless of taste, regardless of whether I was even comfortable with the material, I told myself a lie, which is like, well, if I'm a professional, I'll sack up and I'll do something that I'm not comfortable with on a personal level. That is garbage because like I said earlier, the microphone records everything. If you're not comfortable with something, it bleeds into it anyway. They're not going to hire you because you're like, I don't want to be here. And they're like, cool, we don't want you here either. Like, even if you think you're doing a great job acting, the way you generally, genuinely feel um, is going to bleed in. And if someone can't even, they can't put their finger on it, it just feels wrong because you're actively cringing, right? So after a while, I got smart and I knew this. I just, I kind of needed to give myself permission to stop hustling like an idiot, right? And be like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Or it doesn't pay enough. Or I think this is inappropriate casting. I shouldn't even be in this casting pool. Like I, I make it a point when they send out um, characters, characters of color, but not just that, but characters of color that need an accent. I am, I am half Mexican. Like I partially grew up in Mexico City. I speak fluent Mexican Spanish. I get a lot of Latinas and that feels right to me because I am Latina. I'm not brown, but I'm Latina culturally. Um, but like I'll somehow I still get like auditions for like Asians with an Asian accent. I'm like, nope, no, nope, <laughs> not touching that. Not just because I don't want to do, you know, like a racial stereotype or parody, but because did you know that there are Asian actors who can do Asian accents. And even if it's that not their natural accent, they'll be doing the accent of their parents who they grew up with. 
who are maybe like, you know, um, maybe the actor's first generation and their parent, like my mother was an immigrant. So like I tend to do my mother's accent. Um, so those actors exist and by excluding them from the casting pool, you're not helping. So like, you know, again, I'm innately uncomfortable with this. So I'm like, no, so I don't do it. Right. I could have done it, but my cringing probably would have come through anyway. So, um, over time, uh, and also like, keep in mind being VO is hard because if you get in a position where you're very busy and you're working all day, let's say I did eight hours of VO and I'm screaming and my voice is shredded and I am tired and I want to just like go in a corner and cry. I still have, I come home to an email inbox full of auditions that are due tomorrow at 9am and maybe I have a full, another eight hour day tomorrow. And if I don't do those auditions tonight, those are opportunities that go out the window. And I used to kill myself like doing all of them. Even if I sounded like shit, even if I sounded tired, I talked to a developer I worked with not long ago. And he's like, yeah, I noticed that like, like the names I recognize, like the really popular people, they sound so tired. I'm like, yeah, cause they work a lot cause they worked <laughs> all day and they came home and did your goddamn audition. Like drag themselves over the finish line. They are tired. We're tired. And then I started kind of being like, if I'm cranky to the point where I'm like, you know, kicking and screaming, why am I doing this? Why, why, why am I doing this? So I'll delete them or even better. Um, and I know a lot of people like in other professions do this as well. The concept of diminishing returns is real. You start making mistakes, which affect other people or have a ripple effect in your life. The longer you stay up, the shorter you are on sleep, the more stressed out you are. There is no point working overtime when you physically can't anymore. It's dumb. So you have to pinch it off go to bed. And if I had like a crazy long day, like I said, I, you know, I'll get up early. And I mean, early, if I have time early before work, I'm talking like five, six in the morning if I need to, because at least I'll be refreshed and alert enough and I can make a cup of coffee. Let's go. And then I'll get it done. So you have to start being, and, and no one's going to save you. No one. If, that's great. If you have someone in your life, whether it's an agent or a partner or another actor who's like, um, you're kind of running yourself into the ground. Maybe another actor won't tell you running yourself to the ground. Cause that means more work for them. If you're being stupid with your health. Um, but you're only as valuable as you, as for as much money as you can make. Like my agents only like me for as long as I can make the money. My clients only like me for as long as I can work for them. That all comes to a screeching halt. If I don't take care of myself, they're not going to take care of me. I have to take care of me. So you have to be, your number one advocate for yourself. And it doesn't, it should come from a place of self-love. I know that's incredibly difficult um, or cringy, but don't think of it as loving yourself. Keep, think of it as keeping yourself alive and viable and thus employable. Cause if you don't, that all falls apart. And if you work yourself sick, I can't work sick. I mean, other people might be able to do their work with a cold. I can't, I don't sound like me now. I can't work. Now I'm, and if you're sick long enough, you'll get replaced. You'll lose a whole big fat job. Da 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 da. So uh, hopefully I've been able to cover maybe some finer bullet points on, on what it takes to be a good voice actor. I think it has very little to do with, with the acting itself. It really, it really does. It has to do with just what, what kind of a worker are you? <laughs> are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking care of your coworkers? No. Well, we'll find someone who does. Doop. That's, a, that's the reason why you see um, 
on the same people in, in the same, uh, you know, in, in the, you know, getting hired to do uh, more and more uh, roles is because they're good workers. Like they can, yeah. they can come in and half-ass anything, but they're a good worker, and that's what they want. You know, it doesn't matter if you know, you could be really, really good, but if you're, you know, you're not a good worker, then what, what, do, what do we need you for? If you can't show up on time and you know say your lines and and you know work with the material, then you're not gonna, you know, you're gonna get replaced, and it happens. Yep. <laughs> I uh. In the same way that I mentioned earlier, like, like I, you know, I know at least one actor who only, only deletes everything else, only auditions for like lead roles, won't even do like secondary supporting roles, um, in a cast that that that's his that's his jam, that's what he wants. I because I adamantly like I don't want to be in the convention circuit and I don't want to be famous and I don't want to be well known because I don't like the attention that comes with it. Um, I purposely kind of carved myself into being a utility player, and I'm I'm happy to report that it's actually worked out for me where I've put out this vibe. Um, I think it's because I came from production because I used to work in games and I like that kind of collaborative scrummy meaning just sort of like, we got to get this thing done and I need, I kind of need my best people on it because it just needs to get done and we don't have time to be precious about it. Um, I have made this nice little pocket for myself that I'm really happy with where I just want to be a utility player when people are like, oh, we got to get this like one off character. Who who do we know who could just who could just like just reliably spit it out into our? You know what, Frida? That's been happening a lot more often in the last couple of years, which I'm really happy with. And it's not for giant leading roles. It's like um, certain companies just sort of name drop me because they're like, we just need literally. I was called in for the last E3. I think the last, I don't remember. I think the last E3, I walked around and I counted like, I think the final number was something like nine or 13 different games that I was in. And those are just the ones that I like, I remembered that I was in. And a lot of them, like five or six of them were companies that hired me because they just needed NPCs to blow up. For example, like it was, you know, demo stuff. Like everybody for E3 is making um, the best polished section of the game that they can show at E3 and they, they got to fill in all the holes and often the potholes are VO because VO usually comes at the end of production for non-leads. So they just like, oh, we need this NPC, this female NPC that's going to be like the target, you know, for the demo that needs to get blown up and screaming out. Frida can do it. And, and I'm happy with that because it's, it's usually I don't have to audition, which is a huge privilege. That's when you know you've made it when people just start handing you work because they're like, we need a solution to the problem, and I think I think you're a good solution to the problem. And my attitude is, I would be happy to be your solution. And that's, and that's I, when that's you know when you know you kind of made it when you when people just you know request you by name instead of just you know auditioning and then getting a role. Well, because we're not. I mean, I'm happy to you know we have certainly in other things like crafted something where they're the client is really precious about it because it's their baby and all their eggs are in that basket. Um, I find animators are especially uh, sensitive because usually, usually the showrunners or the producers are very emotionally attached. And also like their show is their actual baby, right? Like they've, they bred life into it and 
read life into it and they want to see it done right and it can be taken away from them at any minute because other people are paying for it you know like the the uh whoever's the investors are or the the platform for example so they want everything to be right and for them you kind of the actor has to sometimes coddle their ego to to make them you have to create a safe environment where you're like i'm not going to drop your baby dude i'm not going to drop your baby what like what what do you see let me let me let me help you bring this to life and again that willingness to participate and meet them halfway and support their vision like they want to feel your support more than anything else more than your genius like they don't ugh. here's the thing um i can't stand this is a great way to get on my nerves and for me to never recommend you for a job um i can't stand auditioners or people who are sort of act like they're at theater camp 24 7 where they're constantly sh performing because they can't stand to not be the center of, of attention i've seen people do that in sessions it makes me freaking nuts because we're all there to work and like i said we have to get it done within never enough time we don't have time for you to put on a dog and pony show where you're trying to make the room laugh or you want to like sing and show i hate i like i want to punch those people in the face i can guarantee you i will i will actively discourage you from getting work if someone recommends ask me for suggestions i will never say your name if i see you sucking the air and the energy and the time out of session because we're at work we're not there to have fun we're there to play but we're playing for money and under the gun. It's a very specific type of play. It's you got to be self-aware, dude. We don't have, it's not, you're not playing with your money. It's someone else's money. And you have to respect that. Right. Um, so we got to get to work again. And that's, that goes back to me whole, the whole, uh, you can't be marking it. We don't have time for you to feel comfortable. We also don't have time for you to put on a show. So don't be someone who's so, I, th I find it's usually very insecure personalities who are, um, either easily threatened or they feel like they need to really prove to the room that they belong there and they deserve to be there. And they're just like, let me just, uh, let me, let me tell jokes or whatever. Let, let, let me sing or just like, let me do wacky voices. And I'm like, girl, we're in a room full of people who can do wacky voices. You got to stop. Um, so when someone brings me into, you know, create a character or whatever, they, they're not, they didn't hire me for me to impress them. Um, or for me to like give them a mini show. No, we got to get this thing done and they got to take this stuff home and they got to plug it in and they got to hope it, it works. Um, on that note, sometimes also, um, I've done plenty of like, we all recast each other and you cannot take that personally because sometimes you do your best in the booth and everybody, you're only doing what you're told to do. And then they take it home and they plug it in and they're like, this does not match the arts or this just, ugh, this is grading or, you know, it's too close to another character and you get recast. Not a problem. So long. the only thing anybody owes you is money for time in the booth. Whether they use the work that you did, it's none of your business. Can't take it personally. Did the check clear? Great. Great job. You can pay rent now. <laughs> because the whole point is paying rent and not seeing your name in a credits list. I know that's really, again, commercial art. It's not your baby. Someone hired you to help with making the baby, but it's not your baby and you got to let it go. It's not yours to raise. Yeah. So I I, th I think all this stuff will, will make for a very solid um, foundation for someone who wants to do what I do for a living. You got to think about all this other stuff, and um, if the talent's there, and by talent I mean just like your your willingness to play pretend, um, everything else will fall into place. But if any of these things are in place, like if you don't respect your coworkers, if you want to waste other people's time, if you want to perform, if you're not taking care of yourself, so you always show up to work tired and sounding like crap. 
it, it'll make it very difficult to keep you employed. And it's got nothing to do with how, quote, good you are as an actor, but maybe with how good you are at being a human being. What's the old saying? Treat those like you want to be treated or treat those like, I don't remember it. <laughs> it's a golden rule, but like, yeah. take it, you got to take it a step further. Treat yourself the way you want to yeah. be treated. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. People forget that all the time. You got to treat yourself. I used to, I mean, I really used to, I think also it happens when you're in your twenties, uh, you have all this energy and your health seems limitless and you feel immortal. And then after 30, it all goes downhill you start you start noticing that you can't do what you used to do with good reason because it's actively shortening your life um so you have to get your sleep in order and you have to get your fitness in order and i don't mean like you don't have to be swole you don't have to be jacked but um like for example for vo because it's all diaphragmatic breathing you're breathing from your gut um you pinch it a bit if you're sitting sitting you really need to be standing to to be at full capacity air um, so you have to be comfortable with standing up to four hours at a time. That's, that's why tiring. I kind of that's why I kind of find it weird. Like some actors record like sitting down, and I'm like, that's uh, that's not how you should do it. You should do it standing up. Some people have physical limitations, like if they're yeah. older or they have yeah, a bad hip or a bad knee, and I, again, that's part of aging. But really, you're you're cheating yourself, right? Like you're cheating your your diaphragmatic capacity. Um, so yeah, you have to get comfortable with, with standing for four hours and emoting and feeling all your feelings for four hours. And you can't do that if you're not getting enough sleep. Like again, like this bleeds another stuff. So like in the last, like I mentioned in the last few months, I developed, um, a, a lifting habit for gymming purposes, which I really enjoy. And I'm kind of an obsessive nerd about anything that I'm doing. So I started getting deep into, um, powerlifting. I don't want to be a powerlifter because powerlifting is a part-time job. Powerlifting is specifically when you are competing to move the most weights and specifically just in doing a deadlift, a bench press, and a squat. And so these are people who just focus on doing those specific movements, moving the most amount of weight um, for medals. You have to pay into it. It's an incredibly nerdy hobby. Like You have to be very rigorous about your um, protein intake and if you're getting enough sleep, if you're stressed out, you can't lift enough because it's all about strength training. And it's so interesting to me, again, connecting the dots about how like muscle physically cannot break down, rebuild and grow. You cannot get stronger if you're not sleeping enough. Isn't that crazy? Like this, this connects to other stuff. So you can't, you can't, you're, your muscle development will be held back if you're not sleeping enough, if you're not eating enough, and if you're stressed. In my experience, where I'm, how I mentioned I had a, a bilateral mastectomy almost seven months ago, um, pain management was extremely important and imposed on me, and they kept they kept wanting to send me home with opioids. I live in California where medical marijuana is legal, so my my aftercare was um, extra strength Tylenol and edible marijuana all day because um, because opioid constipation that is that is something you don't want in your life <laughs> yeah 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 it's like breaking off a rhino horn it's not cute um so anyway that's what i learned apparently pain management is imperative because your body is physically prevented from healing if you are in pain if you are experiencing chronic pain, especially at high levels after something as traumatic to the body as surgery or an injury, your healing slows down and then everything after that is affected. 
your like how you bounce back physically, how your tissues stitch together, all that because you're feeling pain and if you're not getting enough sleep and if you're not eating right, isn't that interesting? In the same way, if you're not eating right, you're not sleeping enough. And if you're in physical or emotional pain, you can't grow muscle. And I probably couldn't do my job either if I was not sleeping, eating well, in emotional pain. You cannot compartmentalize because you are a human being. And we're just like, you know, soft watermelons with soggy brains walking around in our meat suits. And if you don't take care of this thing, this one kit that you get because we're not in an altered carbon universe where you can just swap it out, your whole life goes to shit. Ta-da! Including your career, including your personal relationships. It has to start with you taking care of yourself on a very seemingly basic primal level of keeping yourself alive. And again, it doesn't have to be, I think people think of it in extremes of like, oh, what are you saying? That like I have to eat organic vegan or like I have to be swole, like I have to be like 9% body fat, like I have to get nine hours of sleep a night. No, don't be ridiculous. Do the bare minimum and you'll see this giant improvement in all aspects of your life. Even a little bit, you know, like if you replaced your breakfast donut with, say, a yogurt, try it for a month. See what happens. I can already tell you what's going to happen. It's real basic. So, yeah, hot secrets from VO, not that secret. <laughs> a well-balanced diet. <laughs> That's Seriously? Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not joking around. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I'm at that point in my life where, you know, before when I was in like my you know, early 20s, I didn't really give a shit. But then, you know, as I got older, I'm like, oh, shit, I got to I got to start thinking about my health. And it's kind of scary because you're, you're just like, oh, shit, you know, because I, I I think 2012 and 2016 were kind of the worst years of my life because that, that was at my point where I'm like I was completely out of shape. I was out of breath constantly and i'm like i just looked at myself in the mirror and i said this needs to change and i and i completely changed my life around good for you yeah because i'm like i i got tired of just by walking around i was i was getting winded just by walking around i was that out of shape and i'm like enough is enough that was my wake-up call and sadly some people don't 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 uh, realize that well i mean unfortunately i think a lot of times um you have to hit, you have to bottom out and yeah, everybody's, everybody's bottom out looks real different. Um, your rock bottom is not the same as my rock bottom, same as anyone else's rock bottom, or it doesn't have to be traumatic for you to get, um, get the motivation, but you have to just in order to be physically, emotionally capable of doing what you want to do in life, you, you have to have a body and a brain that's, that's able to do it. <laughs> you can't put the cart before the horse. So I started, um, Really, in, like, like we had to make the um, the lifestyle habit, for example, where we roll out of, like, my husband and I roll out of bed, not awake, at quarter to six in the morning, stumble into the gym, wake up halfway through the workout, and then go home, and then go to work. But we've done it, and it's done. And now we're awake. And, like, you were joking about, like, you know, well, well-balanced breakfast. If I have a 9 a.m., like... VO is usually split into like either a 9 a.m. session. If it's a four-hour session, it'll go 9 to 1 p.m. or uh, 2 to 6 p.m. If I have a 9 a.m. session, I'm expected to show up at 9 a.m. already fed, caffeinated, pooped, whatever. Like I have to be ready to go, right? When I was doing performance capture for Just Cause 4, uh, we had to be fed, caffeinated, pooped, 
and in a mocap suit and ready to work at 8 a.m. Oh, and it was mocap? Like, oh, God, that's yeah, horrible. So the <laughs> yeah, in, in the unitard where everyone can see everything. Um, and, like, I don't have, like, a nanny or a handler, like an adult babysitter telling me what to do when to do it. I have to make sure that I'm there early enough to get caffeinated, fed, pooped, whatever, evacuated. Oh, I got a great word. I um, I, so I just had surgery a week a week and a half ago, and they're like, "So, um, um when's the last time you went to the bathroom?" I'm like, "Well, y'all just saw me escape to the bathroom." She's like, "Okay, voided at." I'm like, "Voided? I voided? That's an amazing word." <laughs> it was I I I I was void. I voided myself at eight thirty in the morning. I thought that was cool. When did when did you last void? Right. Um, but anyway, I have to make sure that that's all in order on my own because I am a grown up. And I have to take care of myself to make sure I'm ready to go to work. Like PCAP was really um, just an extended version of what I do with VO because PCAP, I'm not isolated in a booth where I can pretend I'm in my own little wor- world. And there's I mean, it's people- acting, but you're just wearing like all those, all those yeah. uh, suits. But I was, I was very much surrounded by a crew of like 30 people who were all there and supporting me and the other people getting through scenes and also um, preventing them from getting lunch because I was screwing <laughs> up a line. Like you get this very visceral understanding of I'm not more important because I'm keeping these other people from getting a burrito and that's bad. Right. So you want to, like I said, honestly, the only thing anyone wants to do is go home to dinner or cut to lunch because that's what gives you meaning in life is enjoying a fucking sandwich, right? Because it's just a job. So therefore, I have to I am morally obligated to be doing my part to make sure that I'm in the best condition I can be to do this job as quickly and efficiently as possible so we can all go eat lunch. That's the goal. To go eat lunch. It's uh, I yeah. I feel maybe I should write a book called I just want to go eat lunch because that that is <laughs> That's the core philosophy with any part of of enjoying your job and your life is just getting your shit in order so that you have time set aside for those little moments in between job or drama or trauma or whatever. We can just sort of like come up for air and enjoy your stupid sandwich and coffee, right? Because otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, well, that's the point? that's the end goal. As a, <laughs> that's the end goal of of. Uh of our existence, you know, if you, I find, I find it, I find myself like if you, uh, for me, like, especially with me, with, when it comes to writing, I say, I, I tend to put, I tend to put goals to, I, I tend to, 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 to tell myself, okay, I'm going to put goals today. I'm going to write this much today and I'm going to write this much today. And I, and I, and it, and it works because it's like, Hey, you know, I, I'm, Telling myself I'm to not be lazy, to not sit around and say oh, I'll do it later, to not get distracted, you know, just do it, you know, just go out and do it. And even if you even if you don't accomplish what you accomplish, at least you accomplished, you know, what something, you know. Well, um, what's it called? My husband's much better at this. My, my husband's like the most put together thirty year old I know. <laughs> um, the 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 point is achievable goals and there was an acronym for it. Um, maybe if you Google acronym achievable goals, but the idea is if you put achievable goals and then you have a very specific, um, step-by-step 
plan of how to get that achievable goal and you put it in writing and you track yourself, you can do the thing. And this sounds overly simplistic, but you know, a lot of well, a lot of people will be like, <laughs> I want to buy a million dollar house. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Okay. Well, you need maybe backtrack a little bit. Maybe, maybe let's plan it out. Let's do some math. Let's add some math over time. Let's see how this can work out. And that's it. That's how you, you strategize and how you make things happen. You sit there and you think about it. You think about what you need to do. You plot it out and then you do it, you know, intelligently with some forethought and some research and maybe having talked to other people. But it's it's much harder if you sort of burn yourself with like thinking you need to climb Mount Everest to feel like you've achieved something. That's also that also just I mean, again, that that feeds into um, Buddhist philosophy of you will always you will always be an abyss of wanting nothing will ever be enough. No, you will never find happiness and nothing will satisfy you because you have maybe set yourself up to fail by setting up goals that are not immediately achievable. Thus you are garbage and you feel like garbage and life has no meaning. Then this again feeds into you like the stuff my, my fenestrator says or Buddhists say or whatever. You're already doing the best you can right now. Great. How can we expand on that reasonably? in a human way. Um, which again, I think, I mean, like, like going back to, you know, I said the actor who's only doing lead roles, that, that is a plausible strategy. It is working. You know, he's like, I want to go from A to B. I only want to be a lead actor. Only audition for lead roles, bro. Um, and of course he started doing that at a point where he could, you know, where he had enough money in the bank where he's like, okay, well, if I work a little less, it's not, it's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt me. Again, you have to be smart about, like, okay, well, what? Well, I mean, he couldn't do that, like, as a starting actor, and that would be impossible, but, like, you know. Exactly. You get Back money. Once you get a little bit of money in the bank, you can do that, so. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay, mm-hmm. I had to Google it because it was going to mm-hmm. bother me. It's called SMART Criteria is the acronym. Um, so this is off of Wikipedia. Ideally speaking, each corporate department section objective should be so smart, specific, Target a specific area for improvement, measurable, quantify or at least suggest an indicator of progress, assignable, specify who will do it, realistic, state what results can realistically be achieved given available resources, and time-related, specify when the results can be achieved. Give yourself a deadline. So, uh, oh, I'm S-M-R-T. No, it's SMART, S-M-A-R-T. That's why I forgot <laughs> what it was. But yeah, if you look up... Um, smart criteria or acronym or just follow anybody look at how how to set achievable goals google do that and that applies to becoming a voice actor as well like i i think i I did the thing that a lot of people do where like i mentioned i threw myself at the wall and tried everything and tried to be everything because i didn't know what i was good for and other people didn't know what i was good for and now we all kind of know where i hit my stride or where i resonate better louder faster gooder and I head along into those and, and I'm, a, I'm comfortable saying no to the things that I don't think I'm good for or passing them on to people who I think are good for them. Um, or saying, you know what, that's not what I want to do for a living. So I'm, I'm able to still like be a commercial artist working for other people within the confines of what makes me happy. And I think that's really important, especially to feel like this was all worth something. <laughs> Cause I, at the one end, the, the first and foremost goal should be, paying your, your cost of living expenses and putting money away for retirement because otherwise, why are you working? It's going to be really like your life is going to be very, very difficult in general if you're not keeping your, your money in check. 
and doing things that you should be doing, like have investments in index funds and an IRA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like as a freelancer, imperative, you have to be putting money into an index fund and an IRA. And if you're a voice actor, you should probably have an S corp, which is a type of corporation for tax filing purposes. And that can have its own um, IRA, all this money stuff, really important. And you don't have to be making a six figure salary to have an index fund. If you're putting as little away as $5 a month, that compound interest adds real fast. So have a Google with index funds, for example. Um, that if you're smart with putting away your money, then eventually you can get to a point where, you know, like my friend who's doing the lead things or like me now, I, I kind of recently realized I'm like, oh, oh, I'm already at the point where I'm, I am actually just doing the work that I want to do. And I am auditioning for the things that I think are interesting or challenging or it's with somebody who I like working with. That's an amazing place to be at. I, I could not carve out um, a happier, more fulfilling job situation for me, short of like, you know, the ideal is like working once a year and then making a year salary. I don't, I don't think that math is ever going to work out, no matter my whole. I just want to work less and make more money. Make more. I can get close, but maybe not that far. But I think I'm striking a good balance between meeting meeting my personal achievable goals but also fulfilling myself professionally and then making you know other people happy by helping them out with their projects and raising their babies so and you can too <laughs> and i think that's a good point to end it because <laughs> i think we went uh, way longer than we should have so uh, thank you all for listening and I'll th thank you again frida for doing this I'm I'm happy to. I, I I feel really strongly about all this stuff. Like I wouldn't talk about it for two hours if I didn't think it was important. And I do think this stuff is is even like you can learn. You can, well even acting. I'm not sure acting is teachable because here's a dirty secret. Acting. This is how I describe my job. My job is having real emotions in front of strangers as many times as I'm asked to for money in an efficient way. And no one can really teach you how to be comfortable being yourself and being exposed and vulnerable like that in front of strangers. You have to get over that hump. And that can take as many acting and improv classes as necessary. Everyone grows at different speed. Once you get over that hump, all that other stuff I mentioned in the last two hours is, that, is what matters. Your work ethic and your bedside manner, the way you manage your money, the way you treat your coworkers, the way you treat yourself, the way you regard your health, all that stuff adds up to whether you are a, quote, good voice actor. Um, the acting part is just a small part of, of your potential of how far you can take it. The rest is up to you. All right. Thanks for coming on, for doing this, and thanks for thanks. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs>